right, so let's begin um, with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We pray that it will be profitable for us um, and enlarge our hearts to love the things that you love. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, this is actually part two of, uh, of a series. I don't know if, if you guys were here uh, last time. We looked at the social justice laws of Israel, and this time we're going to look at the prophets. And the prophets are really looking at it from a retrospective, so that they're looking at the record of God's people. How have they done in obeying these laws? And the answer is they have not. Um, and so we're going to read their indictment. And um, and I think it's very helpful to read the prophets because they get very specific exactly where they broke the laws and how it's perhaps applicable or if there are parallels to our day, right? So let's start with um, Isaiah 58. Um, Isaiah 58 is really asking the question, what is the connection between true religion and caring for the poor? Um, and the answer is they are absolutely connected, right? Um, and so Isaiah 58 is addressing religious hypocrisy. People who had all of these... Ah! It's okay. Sorry, what is that? <laughs> so um, Isaiah 58 is looking at people who had all of uh, the elements or aspects of of uh, of being very religious, being very devout lovers of God, and yet because they lack this one thing, God says this is this is disgusting to me. This is foul, right? And so let's read this. Um, why don't we read it one verse at a time? Jazzy, can you start? <clears throat> Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Yeah, let me just pause there. You know, the language here is pretty striking, right? They delight to draw near to God. They seek me daily. So they're doing all the things that make them look like devout people, right? They're attending church service, they're praying, as you'll see, they fast. Um, can you keep reading? Yeah. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled our, ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Yeah, so stop right there. So so this is their question, right? Like, we're doing all of these things that we're seeking your face, we're longing to know you, and yet you're withdrawing from us, God, right? Why are you rejecting us? That's the question that they're asking, right? And then God, this is, this is God's answer. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness? Okay, so stop right there. So this is what God is saying in starting in verse 6. This is the kind of seeking, this is the kind of devotion that I want. He says, to break, to loose the bonds of wickedness. So, um, the imagery that's given here is someone who is unjustly imprisoned, right? So bonds are like chains. And so, here are my chains, Right? <laughs> and so the question we're going to ask is, what are what what are the, what do these change image or what do they represent, right? Because because the, the the Isaiah talks about 
someone who's oppressed, someone who's under this unjust yoke. Think about slavery, right? Think about someone who's been kidnapped. Think about someone who is um, imprisoned, even though he's innocent. And so he defines it. Isaiah defines exactly what it is in verse 7. Where are we? Tommy, right? It is not, uh, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Alright, so these bonds, right? And chains. What's the answer? What what are these bonds and chains? <clears throat> not what people ought to do, right? They ought to give food to the hungry, they ought to help the poor, but what but what is, I'm looking at specifically what is the chains? What are the bonds that is unjust? <clears throat> is it not sharing what they have? Um, is that what you're looking for? Yeah. So, yes. But I'm going to go a little one step further back. I'm going to say it's poverty itself. Okay, and here um, we really touch on something that I think is so radical and so unlike the way we normally think about uh, the way the world ought to work. But the Bible has a conception of a world in which um, for someone to be hungry, for someone to um, be without, to be homeless, that is bonds of wickedness. Right? Because we're supposed to undo the straps of the yoke. How do you undo the straps? By sharing with the poor, right? But the, stu- the, 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 the straps, the yoke itself is poverty, right? And so the Bible has a conception of, 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 of what we would call, in modern language, social justice. Um, I know for a lot of people it connotes like sort of, you know, liberal politics. But for, you know, set that aside in your mind, I think that con- that term is a very good, helpful word because it distinguishes it from something called um, criminal justice. What's criminal justice? How would you, just a quick, easy, lazy ver- uh, definition. It's making sure, like, the streets are rid of bad guys. Yeah, like when, when, when a thief... Right, my little boy Judah is obsessed with criminal justice right now. He loves it. Right, when there's a robber, he must put the robber in prison because it's wrong for a robber to go around and and do these unjust acts of evil. So that's criminal justice. That's good. Our hearts should rejoice when criminal justice is enacted. Our hearts should weep when we see criminals, thieves, hoodlums running free, wrecking havoc. And in the same way, there's something called social justice. What is social justice? Social justice is we see injustice, not necessarily in terms of criminal acts, but in terms of poverty, right? economic inequality. right? So that when there are some people who are really rich and they have lots of money and they're safe and living in luxury and there's and lots of other people who have nothing and they're poor and they're, they're, they're scraping by, that circumstance, that situation is inherently unjust is the way the Bible articulates it. And this is all the more clear if you look at the social justice laws of Old Testament Israel. Remember, because they talked about 
the redistribution of wealth. And, and therefore, the Bible conceives of um, a world of economic equality. Okay? This is the fundamental assumption of the Bible in terms of what is a world that is fair and just and right. And because the world is not like that, the Bible says that is inherently unjust. Right? Um, now, of course, it's super complicated because um, it's not just a matter of injustice that the poor are poor, but it's also a matter of personal responsibility, right? So let me add this to so the so the Bible has um, a very complicated. I can't write and talk at the same time. It's impossible. All right. So the Bible has a very complicated and nuanced view of poverty. It is a combination of injustice and personal responsibility. Right? So poor people are poor a lot of times, and we've witnessed this because they make bad decisions in life. It's a result of drunkenness or addictions or, or a laziness, right? So it's not either or, it's both and. It's both personal responsibility and systemic fundamental unfairness, right? And how do you hold the tension of both realities in your head? Well, you just got it because that's what the Bible says, right? Um, so let me just wrap up verse 8. That, so if you do this kind of fasting, in which you're breaking this kind of injustice, social injustice, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And I think that this is a, a wonderful description, right, that caring for the poor is not just a matter of charity. It's not just a matter of extending pity. Although the Bible does also emphasize that that is a good motivation to help the poor. But it's, it's a matter of right and wrong. It is a matter of doing what is right. Just like if you see a criminal out there stealing from people, everything inside you would move you to like want to apprehend that criminal and stop him, like my boy Judah wants to do. So also, if you see someone who's poor, someone who's going without, everything inside of you, if you love justice, will want to rectify that, right? Um... Let me just read to you... Oh, so, so, so let me just emphasize this, right? So the, so the Bible envisions economic equality, which means that if, if you're passive in the face of this, right? So I think a lot of times we think, oh, what is an, an unjust act? What is injustice? When you actually do something actively evil. But the Bible says, merely by just standing by and being passive, Right? Because if you look at Isaiah, right? All these people, they fasted, they prayed, they sought God. But what did they not do? They did not give bread to the hungry. They did not shelter the homeless, clothe the naked, right? So simply by being passive, by pulling back and holding back, God says, you're being wicked. This is unrighteous. This is, this is foul and repulsive to me. And so simply by, by, by being passive, you're an active, you're, you're a passive participant in an unjust world. Okay? So let's let's continue on Psalm 146. Uh, Aikman, it's the second passage. Do you have the passage? Yeah. Okay, can you read just the first, like, I guess, paragraph, so to speak? And then Ryan, you'll read the second paragraph. Right. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. 
The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Yeah, so look at um, the top of that second paragraph. The Lord sets the prisoners free. So again, it's that same imagery of unjust bonds. And what is that thing? He, verse 7, he executes justice for the oppressed. It does not say he executes mercy, although that is true as well. He executes justice. What is justice? It's a matter of right and wrong. And how does he execute justice for the oppressed? By giving them food, feeding their hunger. Okay? Um, there's just so many passages, right? So this is not some sort of weird, I'm just cherry picking idiosyncratic verses. This is all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. And to some degree, we put on filters because we don't want to read it because it makes us personally uncomfortable. Uh, but it should make us uncomfortable, right? Because um, what is it? God does not save us as individuals, but God saves us for a mission. And the mission is to move towards a world that God is creating, right? Both through evangelism and mercy. So, or, or social justice. So there are two objections that people have. Number one, if you look at the bottom right, don't people deserve what they have? What about merit, right? So th- so people say, okay, if, if I am compelled to share, so I go to work, I, work, I bust my butt, and here's a homeless man on the street, he's drinking alcohol, right? So again, this is not to discount the element of personal responsibility, right? So he's doing something that he deserves, but nevertheless, he's poor, right? I need to shelter him and have compassion on him. Isn't that to some degree, to say that's a matter of justice, isn't that um, unjust? Because you're taking from me, I worked hard for it, and now I'm giving it to this guy. And so let me just address that very briefly. I think to some degree, that is a little too narrow. Because um, we discount, we, we don't factor in the, the, the factor of luck, right? So let me just take an example, right? So let me take Wade. Wade has a mom and dad whom I've met. They, you know, are very loving. They raised him and Harry. They provide him a good home. He grew up in Fremont, which is one of the premier suburban cities of America, right? So here's Wade. Okay, He has his personality, his temperament, his likes and dislikes. Wade turned out okay. He's clean cut, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, let's take Wade. Right, the essence of who he is as a baby, and let's strip him from his mom and dad in Fremont, and let's place him with a single black mother in Oakland who's a crack addict. Now, Wade, you are who you are. How are you going to turn out? Wade is most likely not going to look <laughs> clean cut and all like you know presentable. He may, he may not end up well. Right? He may not get a college education. He may not. Um, uh, he may be in prison because he turns to a life of crime. So, how much is it? So, so if you if you consider those two realities, here's a kid who's born um, in poverty and crime to a single mother. Here's a kid who's born in a suburban family with two parents who love them, who give them a great education. Their two lives go completely different directions. So, Wade is rich. This other guy is poor, relatively speaking. How is that fair? Is that just? It's a complicated answer. I mean, Wade, you know, everything he has, he works hard for it. But nevertheless, he's been gifted. 
It's a gift, what he has. If, you, if any of us were born um, in sub-Saharan Africa, right, in some sort of famine, civil war-stricken country, we would not be as wealthy as we are right now. What we have is absolutely a gift. Right? So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, what about the issue of marriage? Go back to verse 9 in Psalm 146. It says, the Lord watches over the sojourners, the widow, and the fatherless. Okay, so whenever the Bible talks about the poor, it always talks about it in these three categories. Sojourners, um, widows, and then orphans. Or what is it? Fatherless, right? All right, so let's talk about these three categories. Sojourners, nobody uses that word anymore. What is a sojourner? Traveler. Traveler, good. So a traveler, so... But even traveler is not exactly a good description. Like, why is someone traveling? Foreigner, immigrant. Yes, immigrant, foreigner. There you go. Uh, I believe in the NIV it uses alien, right? Which I think is a, is a more helpful translation, although sojourner is the more accurate translation. Um, so why would they be vulnerable to, to poverty, right? Think about it, right? Native people have a much better economic advantage than an immigrant who has no social ties, who is in a strange land. So they're vulnerable. And then you have the widow. If, if you guys heard the Ruth series, a widow is basically a woman without a man. If you don't have a man, you are hard-pressed and out of luck. Because it's a man's world. A man makes money. A woman does nothing. A woman has children. Right? So that's sort of like, you know, uh, I mean, women can have economic viability in the sense that they work too, but nowhere near the economic power of a man. So widows are poor, and the fatherless is what? An orphan, right? Someone who doesn't have, or, you know, who, who only has the mother, right? So if you think about these three classes of people, they are poor. Is it a matter of, of, is it a matter of their personal responsibility? Do you know what I'm saying? Like the orphan. Are you going to say orphan? Shape up. Do better. Why aren't you busting your butt a little stronger, a little harder, I'm doing well, orphan. Why aren't you doing better? You can't say that, right? So the Bible classifies three classes of people who are poor through no fault of their own. The widow is poor because her husband died, right? Not because she did anything wrong. So there's that. Um, and and then finally, you're right. There is still the aspect of personal responsibility, and therefore ultimately... Caring for the poor is a matter of gospel reenactment. It is extending grace, nevertheless. So it's both and, right? So that's the first objection. Second objection, when we create dependency. So this is a serious issue. Let me... As you can tell, I'm getting messier and messier. Uh, dependency, is this a problem? Yes. <laughs> Let me put that. Yes. It's a problem. If you give money to the poor, isn't there a possibility that you create cycles of dependence? Absolutely. And therefore, we need to do uh, mercy mission. We need to do social justice with a lot of thought and care. If you've read anything about um, third world or developing uh, country um, um, aid, a lot of times Western aid actually creates deeper poverty, like in Haiti or other sub-Saharan African countries, because you're just... You're just creating cycles of dependency, and you're actually stripping them of their own ability to, to do something. And so therefore, we need to do it with caution. We need to do it with thoughtfulness. And if you create a cycle of dependency, you're actually making that person w- worse off. So you need to 
always put their interests above your own. Sometimes it's just easy to just do the easy thing rather than get involved in their life. Um, but nevertheless, we shouldn't let the fear of dependency. In my experience, a lot of people say, won't we create dependency? Aha! No aid, no help. Right? So don't let that be an excuse to withdraw, but that should be definitely be something. I mean, the, the question, won't we create dependency, is not a self-protective question. I don't want to give my money, so I don't know. It should be, I care about you so deeply, I don't want my aid to hurt you. Does that make sense? You should be motivated by love for the other person. All right. Any questions before we go on to the practical stuff? Economic stuff. Actually, the, the Ezekiel 18 is continuing on, but the next Amos is practical. All right. So let's, let's continue on. Ezekiel 18. I love this passage because the way it defines comprehensive righteousness, right? Like, when you think of a righteous, good, holy, moral person, what do you think of, right? You think about someone who is, you know, sexually um, chaste. Is that what it's called, chaste? No. Yes. All right. Sexually chaste. You think about someone who has, you know, integrity, right? Uh, Not a thief, in other words, or not a liar. Okay, so it has these descriptions, but notice what else Ezekiel says, right? So can I have Jazzy read the whole passage? If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, if he does not eat upon the mountains or lift his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her time of menstrual impurity, does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment, does not lend an interest or take any profit, withholds his hand from injustice, executes true justice between man and man, walks in my statutes and keeps my rules by acting faithfully, he is righteous. He shall surely live, declares the Lord. Yeah. Do you want to be a man of God? Do you want to be a woman of God? Do you want to please Him and live for Him? You need to do all of these things. You need to be sexually chaste. You need to not be a thief. Okay? So these are sort of the conservative virtues. And you need to be passionate about social justice. And this we would consider the liberal virtues. Okay? There is no liberal and conservative in the Bible. There's just biblical and true to God. And all of these are together the portrait of righteous, right? And let me just go through some of them. He restores the debtor, his pledge, verse 7. Does anyone remember from our last time what this is referring to? Restores the debtor, his pledge. Yes, Aikman. Boaz. No, no. But good guess. Okay, so um, resources debtor's pledge is that when uh, when a poor person borrows money from you, um, um, by the way, in the Old Testament, the only time loans were transacted virtually is when a poor person needs money, so they're borrowing. So 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 all loans they didn't have what what we would consider commercial or capital investment loans. It just didn't, that concept didn't exist. So when uh, when someone borrows money from you, you take a pledge from them, right? Um, basically collateral. And usually for a poor person, the most expensive thing they had was their cloak. This is a little weird to us because, like, in a world of H&M and so forth, right, clothes are, like, super cheap, right? They just, like, tear at the moment you wash them. But in that day, coats were extremely expensive. You can pass your cloak down to, like, your son and to your grandson because it was that expensive. It was extremely um, valuable. 
you can literally wear your entire net worth on your body. So you take off your cloak and you give it to the person you're borrowing money from as collateral. <coughs> and what happens is, but at nighttime it becomes really chilly. And where's your where's your blanket, your cloak? So the person has to restore your cloak back to you at night. So what does that tell us? Why do you need collateral? You need collateral to protect yourself. What if this person reneges on their debt? Right? Then you can claim the clo- the cloak. But you have to let go of your own your own financial security and think about the poor person, right? What their their well being. Let me just go on to another one. He does not lend at interest. Does anyone remember this? This was called usury laws. Who remembers this from last time? I can tell it really like you guys like wow, I was like, oh, this is amazing stuff. <laughs> okay, so usury laws um, means that you cannot loan at interest, right? Um, the medieval world went crazy with this and said, oh my goodness, you know, you can never make commercial loans without um, without uh, uh, interest. It had nothing to do with that. Again, all loans were almost, almost all loans were for to aid poor people. And so when a poor person comes to you and says, can, I'm, I'm, I've fallen on hard times, I have bad crop, can you loan me some money or loan me some grain? You have to loan it to them interest-free. You can't profit out of it, in other words. Um, and so, uh, uh, so, that's, so, that, so, so that's the vision, right? So let's go to Amos 5. This will be fun. This is where we're going to get slightly controversial. Don't be mad at me. All right, Amos 5, where are we? Erica, can I have you read Amos 5? <clears throat> Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vines, but you shall not drink their vine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, and turn aside the needy in the gate. Okay. So let me look at that first uh, verse there where it says, you exact taxes of grain. All right. This is, this is interesting. Okay, so this person, Amos says, well, the people, he says, you guys are oppressing the poor. Right, what does he say? You're trampling on the poor. How do you trample on the poor? By exacting taxes of grain. What does that tell us? What does this tell us? It tells us that they're not doing this through criminal acts. They're not um, like stealing or, or exploiting the poor through some sort of like nefarious evil, like like breaking into their home and stealing their, their clothes and food. What are they doing it through when, when we say exact taxes? They're doing it through legal means. <laughs> okay? I don't know if you guys understand taxes, the very fact that there's a tax means it's legally sanctioned, right? It's the government doing this, right? Which means what? The Bible says not all taxes are just. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's not necessarily the promotion of, of uh, social injustice, right? So this is where we're going to get a little bit controversial. Don't get mad at me. Um, is there such a thing today? Unjust taxes. Let me let me suggest that there are, <laughs> um, and and please take this all with a grain of salt. I'm not an economist, so 
I'm just throwing this out there. I'm just a pastor, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone know the difference between a progressive and a regressive? There's no TGs. Yeah. I found in the comments. Progressive tax. Wait. So not Derek. Does anyone know the difference between a progressive and a regressive tax? Yes, Aikman. Progressive is the tax over time increases. Regressive means over time it decreases. Not exactly, but very close. Good. You're, you're, you're focusing on the progressive and the regressive aspects. Something else. Some, anybody else? Anyone want to take a stab at it? <laughs> okay. Let me, let me give you a big hint. A progressive tax is, your, is like the federal income tax. And a regressive tax is like, for example, the gas tax. Not gas with an X, but gas with an S. Okay, now does anyone have an idea? Is regressive like the more you earn, the more you're taxed? Yes. Regressive, I'm not sure. Okay, so a progressive tax means that you're taxed more the richer you are. So that's your income tax, right? Like you have income brackets, right? So if you're making 200K... Hopefully, you're, you're paying more taxes as a percentage of your income than someone who makes 30K, right? A regressive tax means that you're taxed more the poorer you are as a percentage of your income. So a rich person pays a tiny percent of their income on gas tax versus a poor person. A poor person who only makes like 20K or 30K, they're paying a huge chunk of their actual income to this tax. Does that make sense? Right? Meaning that they both pay the same amounts monetarily. Relatively and, speaking. And percentage-wise. But the percentage-wise is huge, right? Because, you know, the, the, the rich person is buying, I don't know, like yachts and stuff, right? But the poor person is like, all I got is gas. I, I need gas, right? So, um, are regressive taxes an example of social injustice in that we are exacerbating the question of poverty. We're, we're exacerbating the poor, right? We're, we're making the poor poorer. This is a very complicated issue because why do we even have gas taxes? A gas tax is actually very helpful for the economy because it controls people's using gas, right? We, for global warming's sake, right? If you hold the global warming, um, it, the best way to solve global warming would be a, a gas tax, right? A carbon tax. So it's very complicated. But all I want to say is I just want us to start thinking about it. Like, when you see, for example, we don't have food tax, which is very good. Our society does not tax groceries, because that would hit the poor extremely harshly. But there are all kinds of other things, like sales tax. Sales tax hurts the poor more than it hurts the rich, to some degree. Um, gas tax definitely hurts the poor more. So it's just something that we should be aware of. Any thoughts or comments? Derek, do you have any thoughts or comments? As an economist, as an MBA? Um, <laughs> Um, what about are there taxes that favor the rich? What about the uh, interest mortgage uh, mortgage interest deduction tax break? Right? Does anyone know what that is? Jez, you must know. <laughs> no, who know, Who knows what an interest mortgage interest deduction is? Well, you just deduct the uh, the uh, interest that you pay on your house mm -hmm. from your taxes, so you don't pay as much tax. Exactly. Does that tax break? It's a tax break. The purpose of the tax break, by the way, is to stimulate home ownership, right? So it's, it has a good intent, right? So it's, 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 it's a noble purpose. Who does it benefit? The rich. The 
it benefits homeowners <coughs> yeah. who are disproportionately rich, right? So is that a tax in which you're basically helping the rich, in fact, increase their financial weight? Yeah. So is that a bad tax? I don't know. But I think that, you know, in the political dialogue, for example, they never, almost never talk about does it hurt the poor? Does it increase economic inequality? They talk about all these other factors, right? They talk about, you know, will it help stimulate the housing economy and so forth. These are, uh, these are, the other questions are good questions too. But as Christians, we should also think about the question about the poor, right? How does it affect the poor? Any comments or questions? All right, let's go further on then. Um, I, uh, oh, and so that, that, that swings me back to Isaiah 58. So turn back to the page right here. Um, it says in verse 3, Isaiah 58, Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers, right? And, you know, like when you read that, you say, Oh, oppress your workers. What does that mean? Does that mean that you're like breaking laws and doing evil things to your workers? The very fact that we're talking about exacting taxes of grain, and if you look at all the commentators and so forth, they all basically say that what they were doing was legally permissible. So there's something that you can do as an employer, as a, as a manager, that is legally acceptable or legally within your bounds, but is nevertheless unjust. It's exploitative. And therefore, uh, to be a Christian means to be held to a higher standard than merely what is legal. What is merely legal, because we live in a world that is fundamentally unjust, and the legal systems will always reflect the power differential. It will always favor the rich. It will always be against the poor. And therefore, we need to go above and beyond what is legal and treat our workers, if any of us are in this condition to do this, to treat our workers and employees more fairly than what simply the law demands. Right? Um, And not just think about profit. Any, Any comments on that? At any point, you can interject. So go back. Uh, let's go back to uh, Amos chapter five. It says you have bu- uh, built houses of hewn stone. Can anyone guess what a hewn stone is? I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing correctly. Hewn stone. <coughs> Who's a mason? So hewn means cut. A cut stone. All right. So we're like. So let me help us get this into perspective. There are several ways you can build a house. Most people did not build houses of stone because it was extremely difficult, labor-intensive to build it out of stone. You build it out of other material like wood or mud or something like that, right? Or um, um, some sort of like a a brick. But stone, that's extremely expensive. And then cut stone, you need a higher... uh, trained craftsman to actually cut the stones into squares, right? So this is... Basically, what he's saying is mansion. Extremely expensive house, right? Um, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You, you have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall drink their wine, for I know how many are your transgressions, right? And so, what does the Bible say about luxury? I'm actually going to do a sermon series on um, money and the gospel and you know how they relate. But let me just throw this bombshell out. Is this prohibiting luxury? Right? What is this saying? Um, 
I'll just leave it at that. All right, next verse. <laughs> um, where are we? Oh, verse 12. Um, all the way at the bottom, what's underlined. Uh, you, you afflict the righteous, you, you take bribe, and then it says, and you turn aside the needy at the gate. Okay, now, why is that significant? What is the gate? Entrance to the city. Yes, it's the entrance to the city. Good. But here's the law. But it's something more. What's going on here at the gate? So, judgment. No, no, no. What? Huh? Judgment. What do you mean judgment? So it's like you're judging they deserve... Bouncers. Uh, Bouncers? <laughs> and if they're worthy of mercy or something, so like to be led into the city to seek assistance or asylum. Well, the people, uh, let's just imagine there are poor people inside the city. Oh, okay. Okay, so, um, all the action happened at the city gate. This is the way ancient cities were designed, right? So the city gate is where all the elders sat, right? It was the marketplace, but it was basically the courts of law. And to turn aside the needy at the gate is what? is to deny them justice. Now, let's consider our society, our American society, and let's ask this honestly. Do we have a legal system that favors the rich over the poor? Do we have a legal system in which if you're a poor person, you do not get the same level of justice as if you're a rich person? I think all of us can 100% agree that that is the case. We live in a fundamentally unjust world. What is our obligation as Christians to rectify this? Um, whether or not it's through public policy, I'll leave that for you to decide or think through. But for our own selves, all right? Any 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 thoughts or comments on that? Coach, I'm going to get back to the phone. No? All right. Let's go on. Amos chapter 8. Um... Where are we? Uh, Dom, can you read it? Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the epath small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances. Okay, stop right there. So let's let's explain that. So the ephah, ephah, the ephah, uh, small and then shekel great okay what is this talking about what's that ifa? anyone right, now we're really getting to nerdy bible knowledge it's like a unit of currency uh, not currency it's a unit right. of measurement for grain right um, and then what's a shekel money money so what is it saying? You who make the ephah small and the shekel great. They're ripping people off. How? By charging them more than what they're getting. Um, yeah, so, you know, let's say a poor person. What do, what do poor people need? Like, what's the most essential thing that they need? They need food. So, the, so a poor person says, I would like to buy an ephah of grain. And then you weigh out your ephah. But it's not quite an ephod. It's a little less. Right? And and your shekel great, right? Like like if you are are buying something from the from the, the poor, right? You 
you somehow make it so that your money is seems bigger or, or larger, right? And you use deceptive it says you use, you use deceptive balances. And so, what modern practice do you think? Are there any modern parallels, or do we not do this at all anymore? Let me just throw that because I have my own ideas. You don't. You can't look at my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> do we do something where we take advantage of the poor through deceptive? How so? Uh, well, I think um, statistically, I like, I like it. But statistically, many? it's it's people of a lower income that spend more money on the lottery, and you're kind of selling them nothing. You're selling, <laughs> you're selling them hopes, like a very tiny, minuscule hope for something, and uh, a lot of in- revenue is generated by that. Yeah, I would include not just lottery, but gambling, for example. Right, all of these things. Um, the advertising is somewhat deceptive because you're basically saying you can make a million dollars when the reality is, statistically speaking, no. No one will make it for one person. That guy's a fictional character. <laughs> right. So that's exploitative. That's a great example. Any, anyone else? Um, I remember... Um, when I worked at Staples, uh, they would have me sell uh, what's called um, extended warranties. Do you guys know what those are? Huh. Um, so the the reality is extended warranties are next to like nothing. Like they're just junk, right? Because like I would sell extended warranties for you know like a calculator or something, right? So the calculator already has a built-in warranty, like you know whatever, like two years or something, right? And if it breaks down in the 2.5 years, like after the second year, then you have another year of warranty. And you have to keep this piece of paper with you, and then you can then get it fixed. But first of all, the whole thing is just, like the likelihood of that happening, the likelihood of you cashing in on that is extremely unlikely. And you have to actually keep this piece of paper, right? Uh, all economists say that you should never buy extended warranties. But I would sell extended warranties, right? They train me, like, you know, would you like an extended warranty? Oh, what's an extended warranty? And I'd explain it to them, right? I noticed in the, the, the three months that I worked at Staples, disproportionately the people who bought extended warranties were people that I thought were ignorant, kind of like ill-informed, and poor, right? And they would reward me by selling these extended warranties by giving me a cut of the money, right? Um, it was like, I forget what it's called, but it was like a, a uh, like a, extra added to your income, right? They'll give me a dollar for every extended warranty that I sold. The extended warranty was like seven bucks or something, right? So I had a huge percentage, which immediately should let you know, okay, this is like a complete ripoff. That they're like giving the salesperson a cut, right? I Like to this day, I regret selling those extended warranties because I almost guarantee nobody ever used them. And all those people who bought it were just, in my opinion, ripped off. I mean, are there, I think there's just so many numerous examples like that where we, we basically say, you know, buyer beware. You know, everyone has to sort of like be out there and be wary. But you know who are the wary people? It's the smart, savvy, rich people. They know what they're doing. The poor people, they don't know. They're, they're in ignorance, and so we exploit them. We, we take advantage of them. This whole, for example, housing crisis, a lot of it is based on the fact that they were selling uh, subprime mortgages, right? 
subprime mortgages were directly, deliberately targeted to poor people to basically exploit them and make money off of them. So, you know, what is our obligation as Christians on those issues, right? I think as Christians, we can't simply say, well, it's legal. This is the way the world works. We must fight. We must um, resist. Right? We must um, um, protest against this with all our strength. Um, any other thoughts? No, I'll just do one more thing. Okay, let me let me go on. Um, verse six. Where are we? Wait. That we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord. Let me stop right there. What is the chaff? And that was left on the floor. Yes. Is this for the purpose? Yes. Chaff. Well, 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 what is? Why is it left on the floor? Because it's like. Um, what is it? Chaff is kind of like this stuff that no one wants from the wheat. Yeah, so I have no idea, because I am not a farmer, nor do I buy organic grain or whatever, but there's like, this is the grain, and this is the edible part, and then the chaff is the, like the outer husk, the shell. The outer husk is unedible. Like, I guess you could eat it, but it'll just come out, right? It'll provide no nutritional value. So the, this is the reason why they so they, they would call winnowing, right? So they would like shake the grain, and then the husk would um, the husk would fl- flow would, uh, would blow away from the wind, and then you'd have the precious grain remaining. So the husk, what they would do is they would gather the husk, even though it's unedible, meaning it is junk, and they would sell it to the poor to make a profit. Right? So this is what was going on. Are there equivalents today? We don't have the time, so I'll just I'll let that sink in. Do we sell, pardon my language, crap to the poor? Are there cases like that? Right, where it's just junk. It has no value. We're just exploiting their ignorance. Um, verse 6, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. So what's going on in here is that, and this is so long and complicated, I almost regret even bringing this up, but there was something called uh, debt slavery, right? So you can possibly sell yourself, like let's say you're in massive, massive debt, you can get out of it by doing a temporary period of slavery. Right? You basically just sell your labor and say, I'm your slave, feed me during this whole time, and then I'll be out of debt. And so you buy them for silver and for and, and a needy for a pair of sandals. What is a pair of sandals? It's a pretty low amount of money. So what, what, what you're doing is you're waiting until they're absolutely desperate. They're in a terrible situation in life, and then you pounce on them. You, you take advantage of their bad situation. And you exploit them. And so, I would say a modern example, I know I, I said I wouldn't use it anymore, is price gouging. What's price gouging? Derek, you must know. What's price gouging? Don't know if that's an actual economic term. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> Who knows what price gouging is? I could guess. It's there. People taking advantage of like certain situations, like so. If there were like a hurricane or something, like yes. oh, gas I usually sell for three dollars and I sell for seven dollars because people are in a, in a panic. Yes. Now, um, there's actually laws against price gouging in certain situations, but in general, right? Here's the principle: you say, okay, supply and demand. Suddenly, there's a huge, supp- a huge demand. I have precious supply. As a 
as a as an economic player, I have the right, do I not, to charge a fair price according to the market. But what does the Bible say? The Bible would say, if you're selling some, if you're selling diamonds, fine, gouge the rich, do what you want. But if you're selling bread, food, water, shelter, in a time of desperate need, and you happen to be in an economically advantaged situation, you cannot take advantage of the poor. It is not right. It is not just. And therefore, this whole lesson that I'm trying to get at is this. As a Christian, you cannot go out there and say, I will make money no matter what. I will do whatever it takes. I will use whatever shady practices. I will do whatever is legal, but I will exploit the poor to get rich. You cannot do that. You, It's good to make money. It's good to make a lot of money. I hope that you will all be rich. Um, but you must do it in a way that honors the poor, that loves the poor, that shelters the poor, that cares for the poor, that is fair to the poor. You cannot price gouge. You cannot do usury laws. You cannot exploit in the path towards um, econo- your economic well-being. So, that's the lesson. Any thoughts or comments or questions? All right, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this lesson. It's a difficult lesson to listen to. Um, but I pray that we would not feel burdened. We would not feel guilty. But we, we would remember the gospel. That Jesus Christ, who is infinitely rich in heaven, became poor for our sake so that we might become rich in him. And I pray that to the extent that we believe our spiritual riches in Christ, that we could be generous to the poor. And even when we are not, even as we fail, Lord, we pray for forgiveness and we know that we're accepted by you, not on the basis of our own righteous works and merits, but by the mercy of God, by, um, by the work of Jesus Christ. So we rest in that. But now we pray that you would make us generous. You would make us people who love the poor just as you love the poor. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks.